Chapter thirty seven of Women of History. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Arlene Stebbins. Women of History by Anonymous. Chapter thirty seven. Gabrielle Destre. Fifteen seventy six. Davenport Adams. The most famous of the beauties of France, and whose renown is inseparably associated with the glory of the most popular of the French monarchs, was born at the Château de Coeuvre, near Soissons, in the year 1576. Her father was a gallant soldier, who had deserved well of his country, Antoine d'Estrées, Marquis de Coeuvre. At an early age Gabrielle gave promise of a remarkable beauty, when time should have developed the fair proportions rounded the slender figure, and lent expression to the radiant face. Though her mother was notorious for the looseness of her life, the daughter showed a high sense of purity, and her reserve was the despair of all the young nobles in her neighborhood. She reached the age of seventeen without knowing what it was to love, and her heart was as innocent as her loveliness was without blemish. Shortly after the ascension of Henri IV to his precarious throne, he dispatched on a mission to Monsieur d'Estrées, the first gentleman of his chamber, the handsome and accomplished Duc de Bellegarde. This brilliant courtier gazed with wonder on the beauty so long concealed in the obscurity of a feudal castle. Her tresses glowed with burnished gold. Her blue eyes sparkled with a dazzling fire. Her complexion was radiantly fair. Her nose well-shaped and aquiline. Her mouth was well-fitted with pearly teeth and her lips resembled the all-compelling bow of the god of love. A stately throat, a gently swelling bust, a rounded arm, and slender hand, these completed the charms which a fascinating address and natural elegance of movement rendered still more irresistible. Bergart saw and loved, nor was his evident devotion unpleasing to Mademoiselle d'Estrées, who had never before encountered a cavalier so handsome, so elegant and so chivalrous. The course of true love seemed with this fortunate twain to run most smoothly, for though Gabrielle had been betrothed from her childhood to André de Branca, Sieur de Villars, and the brother of Marquis de Villars, who had married her elder sister Juliette, the Marquis de Coeuvre could not resist his daughter's entreaties, and consented to affiance her to the Duc de Bellegarde. He was not indeed insensible to the advantages of an alliance with a noble so powerful and wealthy, and who stood so high in the favour of King Henry. The lovers exchanged rings in his presence, the Duke presented his lady-love with his portrait, and then returned to his duties at court, where his engagement to an unknown beauty excited great astonishment. At this time Henri IV was holding his court at Malte and relieving the sterner toils of empire by sharing in the banquet and the song. The dames and demoiselles of Mont were often the themes of the merry talk of the jocund monarch and his courtiers, and much surprise was expressed at the indifference with which the Duc de Bellegarde conducted himself among them. They could not conceive that a country maiden could be any worthy rival of the dazzling dame de la cour, the duke replied that none of them could hope to equal la dame de ses pensées, the beautiful Gabrielle d'Estrées. Henry laughed at the lover's infatuation. Bellegarde, piqued at his incredulity, invited him to accompany him to the Château de Coeuvre. 
the king promised, and thus, as Mademoiselle de Guise sagely observes, the hopeful lover became the artificer of his own misfortunes, for it was due to that ill-omened visit that he perilled his happiness and lost the favour of the king. As the chateau was at no great distance from Saint-Lys, where Henry afterwards was, he and the courtiers rode hastily forward. Henry was received with the welcome due to so brave a king, and the beautiful Gabrielle did homage to him by kissing his hand and proffered the wine-cup for his refreshment. Her loveliness burst upon the astonished monarch as the glories of the new world broke on the dazzled eyes of Columbus. Fresh and pure, and unsophisticated, it took captive the royal heart, and the memories of all former loves paled before the fervency of this new passion. When he retired to Saint-Lys, he summoned thither the Marquis de Coeuvre and his daughter under pretext that the Marquis might take his oaths as a member of the royal council. The summons was most unacceptable to Gabrielle, who complained bitterly that Henry's attentions sullied her maiden fame while she grieved at the popular rumour that her lover, Bellegarde, had been ensnared by the charms of Mademoiselle de Guise. On her arrival at Saint-Lys she offered Bellegarde to consent to a private marriage as the only means of evading the evil designs of His Majesty. But the Duke was not chivalrous enough to dare the royal wrath. The King persisted in demanding Bellegarde's submission. He visited the beauty in hope of soothing her disappointment and moderating her anger, but she wept continually, and flinging herself on her knees implored him to restore her to her affianced husband. When she found him immovable she rose and abruptly left the apartment, and during the night quitted Saint-Lys, and returned to her father's castle. Meanwhile, engaged in war, Henry joined his principal officers at La Fere. It was at this epoch that he resolved on the most romantic and adventurous passage of his romantic and adventurous life. He set out from La Fere early in the dim, misty morning of the 18th of November, accompanied by twelve cavaliers. At a village about nine miles from Coeuvre he quitted his attendants and prosecuted his journey on foot in the disguise of a peasant. To complete the transformation he carried a sack of straw on his head. It was difficult even for the invincible Gabrielle to resist so surprising a proof of her royal lover's devotion. She did not allow herself, however, to succumb too quickly. The reception was cold and ungracious. Mademoiselle professed to be disgusted with the coarse, rude garb assumed by the royal adventurer, but a brief conversation having followed, a visible relenting on the part of the flattered beauty so cheered the enamoured Henry that on taking leave he said to Madame Villard, "'I have now a good heart that nothing will go wrong with me, but all things prosper. I am going to pursue the enemy, and in a day or two Ma Belle will hear what gallant exploits I have accomplished for love of her.'" The King's visit to the chateau was not attended by any disastrous consequences. He returned to La Fere in safety, and his devotion to the lady became well known all over France. But her father was determined to save her honour by a method not unusual in those days. He chose a husband for his daughter, and intimated that no option would be allowed her. This was Monsieur de Liancourt, who was many years her senior, and a widower with nine children. Wealthy, ignorant, weak in mind, and disagreeable in person. In vain Gabrielle appealed to the king against a marriage which was little better than a living death. 
Henry was well pleased with an event which he foresaw would vanquish the beauty's last lingering reluctance. He said he would cause her to be carried away within one hour of the celebration of her espousals. Her marriage took place at Coeuvre in January 1591, and she made her preparations to escape immediately from the bridegroom she loathed to the gallant Henry. The following day a royal order exiled Monsieur de Liancourt. Thenceforth Gabrielle reigned a supreme in the heart of Henri IV. End of chapter 37